0: this morning we have a special guest is my dear friend robert grant and his wife sue is here with him and we know them if you're a part of our church and been a part at any point you know who robert and sue are if you're new to us though i want you to understand the history that we get the privilege of having with robert and sue uh, robert uh pastor to the church uh, in mobile alabama that i was the youth pastor and worship leader at and we Uh, developed and forged a really deep relationship and throughout the time that we've known them they have been with us through thick and thin through good and bad and they have mostly been advocates mentors pastoral apostolic leaders for me and donna and for many here including jamie and kathy Uh, they've known steve knofsiger since he was much much younger many many decades ago Uh, he He's got a lot of history with our church and we're blessed because of that. And so we want to receive him as uh as the man of God that the Lord has sent to bless us. The Bible says if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, then you receive the prophet's reward. And that means if you're wanting to get something today, the way you get it is you receive what God has sent to you. Receive the one he sent. And there is the secret to receiving the reward. By receiving what God has sent, or whom God has sent, then you get what God would want you to have. Would you please receive this morning, Robert Grant?
1: Don't you love the way uh, Pete accented his wife's comments? He just said, hmm. That was a powerful amen. And listen, between uh, Anna's comments and their comments, I thought to myself, just thus saith the Lord, let's go home. Uh, It was very rich and meaningful. A reading from Jeremiah chapter 33 The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. And a proper rendering of the Hebrew text there would be, the Lord is our righteousness. That was a messianic prophecy, a prediction of things to come issued at about 600 BC. Uh, Well in advance of Israel having any understanding of what it is for the Lord to become their righteousness. Their orientation would be, if we're obedient to the law, and we fulfill the things that God has given us, then we will be righteous. But in that day, the prophet says, this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Traditionally, uh, during the season of Advent and the Sundays leading up to Advent, The prophets are read. And it's interesting when I first became more aware of that tradition, I thought, well, why do we want to read the prophets? Because it's gloom and it's doom and it's judgment and it's mourning and it's forlorn and it's about longing and it's sad. You can't read Jeremiah and get happy until you stumble across one of these messianic promises about things that were to come. It was about bad things that were on the way. So Jeremiah prophesies during that season leading up to Israel being taken away captive into Babylon And during that period of time, when Israel was in captivity. So what's the reason, I thought, for reading, this is happy time. This is about festivities, it's about Christmas carols, it's about joyful things. And yet in the middle of this, we read about all this gloom and judgment and call for repentance And two things have become clear to me. One is the reenactment of history. It gives us an opportunity to place ourselves within a historical context to get a feel for what it was like to be without a Redeemer, to be without a Messiah with things going wrong, things are being desolate and more bad news to come in the middle of that to long for the fulfillment of the promise that one would come from the line of David and the fulfillment of the promise that he would never be without someone sitting on his throne this longing, oh God, send it for the sincere and for the believing and for those who had maintained true faith in Jehovah, there would be this longing, oh God, send him, send him, send him. Oh, come, oh, come. And what it would be like not to have one And the other thing, in addition to reenactment of history, it's a lens into history through which we can view the future. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 says, These things occurred. As examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters. Now he's speaking to first century people in Corinth. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge it in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. I always wonder where all those bones are. 23,000. They're somewhere. You should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Again, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So the lens into the future not only gives us an opportunity to reenact the story of the Old Testament, it's also designed to give us lessons that are warnings for us in our day. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He would not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so that you can stand up under it. So the reenactment of history To give us a feeling, a sense of what it was like to be longing for a Messiah. But now that we look back on the fulfillment of that in the person of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension on high, what does that glimpse and that lens into the future say to us about the times that we live in right now. What do we glean? What do we draw from it and bring across time and 2,600 years to our moment and to our time that speak to us in a way that makes a difference in our lives and how we live into the future? What are those lessons? There are many I would like to point out three. First of all, the effects and impact of bad leadership. During this period of time, the period of the divided kingdom, there were 39 kings, and of the 39 kings, there were only eight who did what was pleasing in the sight of God? 31 kings of the eight, by the way, they were all in Judah, none in the northern kingdom of Israel. 31 kings that at best ceremonially. but in actuality turned their backs on god to the extent that the lord calls them harlots people who were guilty of infidelity and unfaithfulness and who spurned and rejected the god of Israel who had done so much for them. That incurred his wrath, his judgment, and the sending of nations to take them into captivity. And judgment. The effects of bad leadership that lead to a second consequence or an outcome, and that is the consequences of mixture. The fancy word is syncretism. It's where the things of God become mingled with the things of culture to the extent that you don't recognize the things of God anymore because they've become so immersed in the values of culture. And it becomes so diluted and diffused that you don't recognize it, you don't see it anymore. And this happened in Israel, and I I dare not go far down this particular road. I always thought, what was with Solomon needing 700 wives? None of them were what? Jewish. None of them were Jewish. It led to an importation and influx of values of other cultures that worshiped other gods to the extent that altars and temples were built in the high places around Asherah poles and Baal worship that led to even the offering of children as sacrifices. What a horrible thing. I'm glad we don't have that in our day and time. I can hardly speak of it. To think about children that are being offered on the altar of convenience. So people can be free to go do what they want to do the way they want to do it. Think about it. But the consequences of mixture that flows out of bad leadership, who've abandoned orthodoxy, who've moved away from the purity of the message of God and his law word that and abandoned that and turn their backs on it, it opens the door for mixture and syncretism. So what flows into society and culture is this cup of... Unbelievable uh, filth. And when mixture has its effect and its impact, when syncretism has run its full course. It sets loose and opens the gate to a pathway of idolatry. We don't think so much about idol worship per se, but let's take a moment and say, what is idolatry anyway? In short, idolatry. Is describing and saying what God is like, and then prescribing a pathway to approach the God that you have described. It is a pursuit of the God that you want rather than the God who is. That in essence is what idolatry is. You can have idolatry in the form of a carved object or the Lord has wonderful sarcastic things to say in Isaiah about people. These people, they take a log and then they carve an image out of it and then they once they've carved it, they set it up and hope that it doesn't tumble over. And they worship that, and with the other half of the log, they chop it up and bake their food. I mean, there's, there's, the Lord now and then has a wonderful sense of uh, sarcastic humor. But we get in our minds an understanding of idolatry is describing what God is like and then prescribing how you approach him in worship. That's what idolatry is. And that's what flows out of mixture. When you have leadership that's unfaithful to the gospel, to its purity, and to what God has said, It leads to mixture and a dilution of the pure word of God and leads people then to engage in this process of saying what God is like or what God isn't like. Oh, God would never be like that. This is what God's like. God is loving, kind. God is forgiving, all which is true. But what they're saying is, we're liberal, and that means we do whatever we want. And God approves of that, and that's what God is like. And that's the message that people need to hear. You can do whatever you want and live however you choose to live, because God is love. What are you doing when you move in that direction? You are prescribing what God is like. And you're doing that based upon pursuing the God that you want rather than the God who is. And the outcome of that is you get, you come up with your own God and you come up with your own preferred way of approaching that God in worship. And you can even give him the name Jesus if you want. But it's not the Jesus of Scripture. And it's not the Jesus who is God's very own Son. So, what do I'm learning? What do I suggest that you learn, that we learn together? from this lens into the Old Testament setting and the lens into the season of the prophets is what happens when you have bad leadership that opens the door for mixture and syncretism that leads to idolatry and idol worship. And a God who's built after our image, rather than us being built in his image. Practically speaking, what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me today? Three things that correspond to the three lessons. And that is praying for godly faith for faithful shepherds. If we would sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. A heart cry of ours would be, God, send us faithful shepherds. Send us shepherds who will be true to your word. Send us shepherds who love you with all of their heart and all their soul with all their mind and all their strength and hold up a standard that calls people to you the true and living God not made in our image but we being made in yours and that we seek you and Let me introduce a, a verse here from Psalm 86. This is worth underlining. And as our friend of many years, Bob Mumford say, if you can't underline your Bible because it's so nice, put that one on the shelf and get one that you can take right in and make some notes. Verse 11 of Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Listen carefully. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I think that part of what's a a different kind of pandemic in our society and in the church is heart disease. Heart disease that could be described as a divided heart, a heart that's inclined to draw nearer to the things of God but a heart that's divided in that it gets swept up in the pressures and the demands and the influences of culture. That pull on us to move us in a direction of dampening down, watering down, diffusing the God who is and presenting a God who is accommodating and the God that people want. Praying for godly, faithful shepherds. Pray for Chris. Pray for Curtis and the other elders. Pray for me that God will keep our hearts undivided and that we will be truth seekers and that we will be faithful stewards of apostolic faith once handed down and that we will not become diluted and drawn away and sucked up into the mixture of the culture that is around us. The reason I'm looking at my watch, because I just thought about something else I want to say. My wife just said, just say it fast. If you are, I'm going to hesitate to use popularized words. If you are God-oriented and you believe you have to give an account for what you do, this is leaning, at least leaning in the direction of seeking the God who is. The further you move to the left of that, and this I believe is what it truly means to be leftist. The more you move to the left, the more you move away from that. Track with me. If not, go back and read the modern father of conservatism, uh, Russell Kirk. The more you move away from that, And the more left you go to that, the less you are reliant on what is transcending truth and revealed truth from God, our Heavenly Father. The more you move away from that, the more you move toward confidence in human intelligence An empirical science that eventually comes to the place of saying what we need is an elite group of intellectuals that can best prescribe for us how we should live and what we should do and what life is worth. And what should be sacrificed on the altar. Are you with me? Am I just talking to myself? That is idolatry. It's setting man up in the place of self-worship. I know what is best for you. Because I am smarter than you. I am more intelligent than you. And by the way, I have a whole company, a whole fan club of people that are ready to say, praise Robert, praise Robert. Tell us, Robert, what to do. And now I will tell you. (laughs) And if you don't conform, there's a furnace waiting for you. And there's an altar that I will place you on so we can sacrifice you for the benefit of all. I'm talking beyond myself this morning. I'm talking, I'm talking beyond my own head, but I believe it. I believe that what I'm saying, when leaders cease to be oriented on the God who is, the more you move away from that, the more you move into man's thinking, man's ideas, and the superiority of an intellectual elite that will establish the altars and the temples around which you have to worship. I pray for the leaders of our nation. I fear for our nation. When I read the Old Testament, when I read the prophets and I read what happened, I thought to myself, God help us. If we don't have godly leadership raised up in this nation, we are up the creek. And you don't think captivity can come to this great land of ours? There's part of me that has a fear and a quaking, not so much for myself because I anticipate and not many years from now, I will step through the veil. But I'm thinking about you and your children and your grandchildren and this little cadre of of sweethearts gathered up here this morning, what kind of world will they inherit if we do not have godly leadership that call upon the name of the Lord and to seek God for his truth and his ways. But more especially for the prophetic word and ministry of the church of Jesus, I say to you church, pray for your leaders Pray for those that God has raised up and called that they will have undivided hearts that seek the way of the Lord and align themselves with God's point of view and say, I want to love you with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul. And all of my strength, and the second commandment is like unto it, and I want to love my neighbors and myself. And as your leader, I'm calling you, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, and go love your neighbor as yourself. And keep that message pure and clear. Chris, keep that message clear and pure. I'm thankful to God that you have a pastor, shepherd, who does not live his life to fulfill personality cult and an ascending role as a charismatic figure. Pray for godly, faithful shepherds. I'm repeating myself. It's the Department of Redundancy Department. (laughs) Pray that God will raise up faithful shepherds. I I think that is a greater need than we can know at this time. You know what gets popularized? It's people who fall and people who have found themselves in the rarefied air of an ascending trajectory to where they don't think right and they don't act right anymore. And they fall and with them there is great despair and discouragement amongst God's people. We need faithful shepherds that have the anointing of the Holy Spirit that will stand true to proclaiming and expositing the word of God that can transform you and change you and cause you to amend your life in a way that forms and moves towards more perfectly fulfilling the will of God. Pray that God will give you leaders that will do that. Pray that God will give you leaders that will tell you what you don't want to hear. Say it with me. Tell me what I don't want to hear. hear. Now really say it this time. My God, we need... Faithful shepherds that not just tickle our ears by making us feel good about ourselves, but to tell us what we don't want to hear because we need to hear it so our lives can be amended to be in line with God's purpose and God's design. And deliver us from mixture. Pray that God will give us faithful shepherds and pray that God will deliver us from mixture. Have you thought about the Lord's prayer that we just kind of rhythmically go through our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's all good. Forgive us our trespasses (laughs) as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Another way I could say that is deliver us from mixture. Deliver us from being intoxicated by the values that we deal with in our culture. I love the world that that God loves. But that doesn't define me and it doesn't order the values that I live by. But I find myself drawn and away. I find myself influenced. I find myself being impacted. I find myself getting off course. I find my compass hits this magnetic field or something, which causes me to go, ah, ah. and the need to recalibrate daily. Get get in here and get these thoughts and get his thoughts moving over my mind so that if my heart is becoming inclined to be divided, that he will recalibrate me and help me to get focused and back on track. You with me? Do any of you ever get off track? Thank you, James. We knew that, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But you always find yourself back on track. Deliver us from evil. You ever wonder why that's in the... The Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know that's where the Lord's Prayer ends. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. That didn't. That was an anthem added to the Lord's Prayer by about two hundred A.D. Now I like saying it. I'm not against saying it, but. The Lord's prayer ended with with deliver us from evil. And pray that the Lord will give us undivided hearts that we might fear his name. Pray for godly leaders. The Lord will wash us of mixture. And one of the principal places he does that is when we get together and the word of God is presented. And then give us undivided hearts. There's a prayer that Sue and I pray uh, every day. And you've heard me use it before. But it's, uh, you, you know what bottomless prayers are? You never get to the bottom of them. This is a bottomless prayer, a fathomless prayer. You can't drill down deep enough that you exhaust it. And it's this, Almighty God, to you, all hearts are open. All desires known, and from you, no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Can you see why I say that's bottomless? It's fathomless. You can't exhaust it. And in that prayer is an acknowledgement, God, you know everything. And you know what's in me. And listen, cleanse the thoughts of my heart. How? By the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Because I can't do it myself. I can't self-purify and self-sanctify myself. I need him to come and do something in me that I can't do for myself. And the more we realize that, the more liberated we are to present ourselves before God and say, cleanse the thoughts of my heart by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that I may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. An undivided heart. Affected by the work of the Holy Spirit, in an atmosphere that's seeking to walk in the light of God's truth and His ways, led by leaders who are faithful shepherds of the apostolic message. We don't have it to put up on the board because I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to ask you in closing just to repeat that prayer with me, would you? If I lead you in that, I'll do short phrases, but do it thoughtfully and prayerfully. Before we do that for ourselves, would you join with me in praying for your leaders? Chris? Chris? Curtis, the elders, and I include the group of leaders that got together last night who are faithfully serving in this church. But I'm especially praying for your senior pastor, Chris Hyatt, that God will give him a pure heart, keep his heart undivided, and continue to strengthen him as a faithful shepherd who will be faithful to the truth and even tell you what you don't want to hear. Extend your hand toward them, would you? Our Father, hear us. We say, O come, O come Emmanuel. As we anticipate Lord, our need our earnest, and our desperate deed, for you to come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray over Chris and Donna and all those that stand with them that you will raise them up in these days to be faithful shepherds that are free from mixture and have a united heart to seek your truth and to walk in your ways. Oh, how we need that and long for it. I pray in Jesus' name. And now for ourselves, would you pray with me? Almighty God. Almighty God. To you, all hearts are open. To you all, hearts are open. All, desires known, all desires known. And from you, no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts hearts. by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, Spirit. That that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ, Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh come, O come Emmanuel. You can Justin, anybody just lead us in maybe just a verse or two of that? It's the longing. We don't long for the Redeemer to come, the Messiah to come, because that promise has been fulfilled. But we do have the longing that he will come for us and in us and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So we seek his coming afresh and anew.